Hey, my name is Jake Wood. I serve here at JFC. A uh, couple things. If you're listening to this and you've been blessed by a message or a podcast, uh, we'd love to hear about how that has blessed you. Feel free to connect with us at mystory@jfc.org. Also, if this has blessed you and you'd like to give towards uh, the ministries here at JFC, uh, you can do that through the app or log on to jfc.org forward slash give. And lastly, uh, we're in a message series called Colossians 3.23, and it's talking about God in the workplace. We think you're really going to enjoy it. Be blessed. Whatever work you do, do it with all your heart. Do it for the Lord and not for men. Good morning. Uh, sure glad that you are here. I got two quick things I need to do before, um, before we use the notes. The first one, uh, with our life day coming up, what we've asked business uh, owners and business people in our church to do is to um, help us with it by, um, by supporting it at different levels. I think like uh, you can become a sponsor for $100 and then there's $250 and $500 up to $1,000. But an incentive that we gave each of them was that if you, uh, if you did help us sponsor it, uh, every week what we do is just throw everybody's name in a hat and then pull one out. And that weekend during this service, uh, during this series, we're just repping uh, that particular business. And so this weekend, the guy that won is a guy that makes these really cool socks right here. And they're just kind of fun socks. Maybe the question is, uh, do you wear them? Check this out right here. So here's what this says. I want to give you the picture. Up front, looks serious. But underneath, there's a party going on all the time in my life. Um, and it's just a... Uh, it's just a neat business in our church. We've given them as gifts. Um, it's not too late. If you'd like to help be a sponsor of our Life Day, then you could still do that. You do it through our website, and we'll throw you into uh, the drawing. And it's just a quick way to help people in our church sort of, um, sort of show some of, their, uh, some of their wares and some of the things that they're doing. This one is a little more serious, so let me transition into something that's not, um, it's not humorous at all. On Wednesday, when I got home from the office, I had flipped on the TV, and on the bottom of the screen was a little ticker that went by, and I caught the last part of it, and it just basically said, parents being warned uh, about a video series called The 13 Reasons. I hadn't heard of it, to be honest with you. I didn't know what it was, but it piqued my curiosity when it said parents being warned, so I just Googled it real quick, and it's a straight-to-Netflix video. Uh, and basically, here's, here's what it is. If you like the video, it's, this is not a criticism of the video, but it is, a, it is something that I feel like the Holy Spirit put on my heart. The video basically is a teenage girl who commits suicide. And it backs up from that point, and it basically shows the reasons why she did it. Uh, part of it, it's, I mean, it's, it's pretty dark and it's pretty brutal. She was raped and... Each of the episodes end up telling the story of why she finally made this conclusion to take her own life. And it leaves you with the idea that basically she just didn't have any choice. That it was sort of a, a thing that she needed to do. And, um, and so um, what was going on is that many teens were aware of it, but parents weren't. And there were, there were teens who had taken their life because of it. So while I'm reading this and, um, and kind of looking at this... 
Right at that moment, I get an email from my associate, Dan DeMay. And if you have an iPad, I don't know if yours does it this way, but mine is set up. Regardless of what I'm looking at, it'll flash that you have an email on it. And so it just said, it was Dan, and he just said, uh, hey, you need to read this. So I clicked it, and it was a letter that was being sent right at that moment from our youth pastor's to the parents about this series. Hey, parents, be aware this is going on, and it's an opportunity maybe to talk to your kids otherwise that you, you wouldn't be. When things like that happen so quickly for me, it's almost as I can feel like God's yelling at me, hey, pay attention to this. And I wasn't sure what I was supposed to do with it. I'm like, okay, God, are, we, are you just saying, hey, you did good, you heard from God, and so this got out, or am I supposed to do more with it? And sometimes, I'm just going to be honest with you, sometimes I can discern the voice of God really easily, and sometimes I need help discerning it. Anybody else like that? So I took it to my group of pastors, um, my exec team, and I just said to them, hey, you guys, this is happening, and I'm not sure if this is me and I'm being dramatic or if it's the Holy Spirit. What should I do with this? Let me, let me finish this. Right when I got done reading Dad, Dan's email, Chris had come home, and I said, honey, are you aware of this? Monday night, we had been invited to a function with people in the church, and Chris had talked to a mom there whose daughter had been watching the series, and the daughter was now struggling with huge anxiety and dealing with the issue of suicide. And so Chris said, yeah, I was aware of it, but only two nights ago. So these three things had happened to me like instantly, so I bring it to my staff. What do you think I should do? My staff just as in Unity's pastor, um, so we don't think you're being dramatic. It's obviously God trying to point something out to you, and so do with it whatever you think you're supposed to do, and here's what I thought I was supposed to do. I thought I was supposed to take time during the service just to uh, talk to these two people. First, if you're a parent, I just want to say to you, man, it's never wrong to talk to your teenager about what's going on in their life. My daughter Amy, who is the campus pastor here at this campus, reminded me when I brought this up to staff, she said, Dad, when I was 13, 13 or 14, she said, you came into my room and you felt like something was wrong and you asked me if I was thinking about suicide. And she said, I don't know if you remember, but I burst into tears and I said, not only am I thinking about it, but I've already planned it. And it was just the Holy Spirit at the right time, right place. What I did was bind that thing and cast it out of my house. And she said, I never dealt with those feelings again, Dad. And she said, it's okay for you to share that with others. So parents, I just want to say, you just never know. And it's okay for you to ask your kid how you're doing. And here's maybe more important, and look at me real quick. If you're a teenager, and maybe you're at this service, or you're watching from one of our campuses, or maybe you stream this in the next week or so, man, if you're contemplating this at all, some of the most permanent decisions that we make are during very temporary circumstances. We feel like things are never going to change, and we feel like nobody understands, and we feel hopeless. And then we say things like, God, if you're out there, um, tell me and show me. Could you believe that God would stop a service to answer your prayer, that he's out there and that he cares for you? And here's what I felt like the Holy Spirit would have me tell you if you're a teen, that God does have a plan and a purpose for your life and you matter to him so much that he would put it on a pastor's heart to take time from the other things that are in a busy schedule to say to you, don't do it. To say to you that life is worth living and that God does have something good for you out there. And sometimes it just seems like, man, there's nothing more than this right here. And it's just not worth it. And that's just so false. It's just so false. I believe in this so much. Here's my email. John, J-O-H-N, 
at jfc.org. John at jfc.org. And if you need help, email me. If you're a parent who needs help, email me. We'll do anything that we can to help you. I would stop a service in space and time to reach any person I could to tell them that God loves them and God has a purpose for their life. Don't listen to the enemy rob you. And it's not a knock against a series. The truth of the matter is I watched one of the episodes and it's really well acted, to be honest with you. But it's super dark. And sometimes darkness can just overwhelm our lives. And we can make decisions based on darkness and not based on light. And God wants you to know there's a lot of light out there, man. Okay? Good enough? All right. Okay, uh, let's transition to our notes real quick here. Hey, I'm sitting today. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, have a, I have a back that gives me problems from time to time, and I'm in a series of uh, getting injections right now. I go back Tuesday, and I'm supposed to be kind of taking it easy, but that stupid snow got up in all my trees in my backyard, and so I sent my wife out to get the <laughs> snow out of the tree. And I looked out, and my poor wife is covered in snow. So I said, here, I'll take care of this. And sure enough, man, I re-hurt myself again in the deal. So if I sit a little bit while I'm doing this, it's not because I'm old. It's because I'm an idiot. Um, so, <laughs> so there we go. Hey, you ever had a boss you didn't like? <laughs> you ever had a job you don't want to go to? You ever do something um, in your life where you just feel like um, this, this just really isn't accomplishing anything great? Uh, some of us end up in places at times where we chose it because we thought, I'll make a lot of money at it. And after you get going, you realize it doesn't matter how much they pay me, it's just not worth it. Some of us go to places that we really like, but somewhere along the line it changes and we're close to being vested or we are vested and so we're just playing out the clock. But we don't really feel like we're accomplishing anything. And you hear a pastor say things like, God has good purposes for your life and things planned for you. But, man, sometimes between the things and the promises that we hear about God, but where we live our lives, it just seems to be so far away from each other. We're talking about your work and why it matters. Pastor Terry started last week. I thought he did a great job. I thought Terry's really passionate for that. Terry actually runs a group in our church for business people. And if you're not a part of it, it would be a great way for you to network and to... Um, to become part of something where it's um, believers in business, trying to figure out what God's greater purpose is for their business and for their life. When I talk to this about people, a lot of times they think, Pastor, how do you have any idea what you're saying? I mean, you're a pastor. What a noble thing to be doing. And, you know, that's uh, one thing for you to say it, but you get to get up tomorrow and Monday's your day off. It all starts for us tomorrow. Uh, I haven't always done this. And believe it or not, ministry is not always fun. Back in the day, um, the job that I think I hated the most that I ever had, I was a bug killer. <laughs> bug killer. Here, here was our situation. Um, we were fairly newly married. We had two small children. I was trying to go to school to get a ministry degree, and I was helping a guy start a church so I could practically learn how to do ministry, but I had to figure out a way to support myself, and the only job I could get was at Orkin Pest Control. They work around my schedule, basically. My job, this is not here in Denver. This is in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. <laughs> Some of you already know. So the houses there are different. Here they build them on slabs on the ground. 
But there, because you're at water table, water level, and it floods easy, the houses are about uh, from where the platform, the edge of the platform is to the ground, they're built about that high off the ground on uh, brick stilts. And it allows the water, when it floods, to come up and go underneath the house and for the moisture to be there without ruining the house. And so, consequently, it stays really moist under these houses. It's the perfect place for roaches and for rats and mice and termites. My job was to crawl underneath these houses and to find the bugs. I found more stuff underneath those houses. One time, uh, I came face-to-face with a nutria. Does anybody here know what a nutria is? It's like a King Kong of rats. Face-to-face with it. It hissed at me, and I backed out as quick as I could. One time, I came across a pack of, um, I don't know what you call, but it was a bunch of water moccasins. A mother with a bunch of babies. And again, it hissed at me, and I backed right out. It was filthy, spider webs. I mean, think of the worst horror movie you know when they're having to climb through the spider webs. That's what I did every day. I had to find bugs and kill them. I hated that job. I was the worst at that job. One day I was sitting in a sales meeting, and they're trying to motivate us. And the guy in front of everybody goes, John, why are you even here? what he said to me. Why are you even here? And I said, well, I want to be a pastor, and this is helping me get there. And he stopped the meeting. He said, you want to be a pastor, and you work this way? God. I knew what he was saying. What he was saying is, dude, you really want to be a pastor. If that's really what's inside of you, the stuff you should be doing should show everybody what's inside of you, not just how you feel about what you're doing at that particular moment. I decided to become the best bug killer there was. When I talk to you about work, when I talk to you about the idea that your work matters, that what you do has a purpose and a plan to it, I think people tend to think, man, you're a pastor, how can you even relate to it? But I haven't always done this. And again, I want to say to you, being a pastor is much more than standing on a platform and talking. I deal with some of the most awful situations you can imagine because I deal with people in crisis sometimes. And I know what I'm talking about. Our series is just simply about your work. We actually struggled as a team of what to call this series. I wanted to call it Sacred Work, but they overruled me. Somebody wanted to call it 9 to 5, but I overruled them. Then they snuck by a series called Just Do It. And I thought, no, it's just like Nike. So my wife said, let's go simple. So we ended up just calling it Colossians chapter 3. Pretty simple title. Here's the scripture we're using for this. I'm going to count to three. I'd like you to actually read it with me. It's just one verse. One, two, three. Whatever work you do, do it with all your heart. Do it for the Lord and not for men. The very first word, whatever. Do you think that God knew when he wrote that that sometimes we would be doing things (laughs) that we'd think to ourselves aren't very noble? aren't very good and aren't really accomplishing a lot of eternal things. And yet God in his wisdom begins the whole thing of how to work by saying whatever you do, do it with all of your heart and do it like you're doing it for God and not for men. Man, it's so easy to stand here and say, but tomorrow morning to get up and do it. It's so hard, isn't it? I'm not talking down to you. I know some of you are going to think, Pastor, if you had my circumstance and my situation, you just wouldn't say it that easy. I get it. No judgment. 
But I just want to talk to you, if you're a believer, for a minute, that if you do believe in Christ, there is a higher purpose for your life than you know. You're not just getting up and punching a time clock. God knows exactly where you are in space and time. And here may be the truth. You may not believe that where you are, God did it. But can you believe this, that where you are, God can use you? So I'm going to try that one more time. Do you believe that God can use you where you are? I want one more time to say that. (laughs) No, you know what? I'll preach this message and see if I can convince you. All right, if you've got a pen or pencil, you might want to fill in these blanks. If you use the U version online, uh, then you can do it that way. And if you learn best by just listening, that's fine too. The reason I do fill in the blanks when I teach and I try to get our staff to do it is this reason. I think when you write it, you remember it longer. I think like the weakest ink is better than the strongest memory, to be honest with you. So I think it just helps us remember. So let me give you three myths about your work. According to Colossians, whatever work you do, do it with all your heart, do it for the Lord and not for men. So let me give you three myths about your work that most of us fall into. Here's myth number one. My work is just simply common. doesn't matter. I feel like a cog in the wheel. I'm a widget. If I'm there, if I'm not there, it doesn't matter. If I do it, if I don't do it, it doesn't change anything. Really, I'm doing it to get a paycheck. Pastor, you just don't understand. Uh, I went to school. I had to declare a major. I picked the one that I could make the most money, and now I'm kind of stuck. Got a mortgage, got a kid. Got a spouse, and I'm just, uh, I'm waiting, waiting for something else. I get it. But the myth that we fall into is that we just simply think our work is common. We think it's ordinary. We think that it doesn't matter. And if you're a believer, God doesn't want you to think that way. So I want to talk to you real quickly about the power of dedication and declaration. The power of dedication and declaration. All through the Bible, both the Old and the New Testament, you have people who were very common and ordinary, just like All of us, sometimes we feel that way. We feel like what I'm doing is common, and I'm a common person in a common situation, and it's just normal and ordinary. And what we have in the Bible are stories of people who felt the exact same way, but they picked up on a principle that when you take the common and you dedicate it to the Lord, the Lord can make what is common uncommon, what is normal supernatural, and God can put his blessing on the things you put your hands on and do things in your life you have no idea until you give it to him what he can do with it. And most of us are fooled by the enemy into thinking that we're just punching a time clock and it doesn't matter, but God knows right where you are, and more than that, God can use you where you are if you'll put it into his hands in a supernatural way. And as a believer, that's exactly the mindset you should have. taking it from the normal and the common and putting it into the extraordinary, the holy, the special. Uh, There's a story. I just picked this one. You'll find it all over the Bible. This is a story about a woman who wanted to have a child and couldn't. Believe it or not, that's a pretty normal situation today. Even in 2017, I think some of the most heartbreaking stories I deal with as a pastor are families in our church that want to conceive and can't. When it's something that's so deep inside of a person that I want to have a child, you can't believe how much money people will spend to try to have a child. And worse than that, you can't believe the heartbreak that they feel and there's no words to tell them to help them sometimes. You pray and you pray and it just seems like, man, they need a miracle and gosh, they're holding out and holding out and they're just heartbroken. This is a story that took place 3,000 years ago of a woman who couldn't conceive no matter what she did. And she finally goes to the temple and she stands in front of the temple and she's so heartbroken that when she tries to pray, her lips move but she can't get the words to come out of her throat. And her prayer basically is just simply this, God, I'm common and ordinary but if you give me a child, I won't treat him like he's common and ordinary. I'll dedicate him to you. 
And he will be set aside for your purposes so that your blessing can be upon his life. The priest was named Eli, and the priest saw the woman praying, and he saw her lips moving, but he didn't hear any words, so he assumed she was drunk. What a terrible thing for a pastor to assume. So the pastor walked up to her, and this is what he said, how long are you going to be drunk at church? Go home. And she said, I'm not drunk. She said, I'm heartbroken, and I try to get the words to come out, but all I can do is move my lips when I pray. And he said, what are you praying for? And she says, I want a child so bad. And he looked at her and he said, the Lord has heard your prayer, go home. If you know the story, she conceived. and She had a little boy and his name was Samuel. Samuel plays a significant part in the life of Israel. Eli was the high priest. Samuel is there to take Eli's place and Eli's children's place. When he was done being weaned, she took him back to the temple because she had given him to the Lord she brought him to Eli and she said, the Lord gave me this child and I dedicated him. He's not just normal and ordinary, he's extraordinary and God has a purpose for him and I gave him to the Lord and I'm bringing him to you now so that you can train him in the ways of the Lord. And little Samuel went to live at the temple and began to serve the Lord at an early age. And then he has this extraordinary story. As a little boy, he was sleeping one night and the Lord called his name, Samuel. He woke up. And he did what you and I would do. He thought it was Eli. So he jumps up and he runs over and he wakes up Eli and he says, what do you want? And Eli says, why are you bothering me? And he said, you called me. He said, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. The little boy walks back to his room, lays back down, goes back to sleep. And the Lord called again, Samuel. So he jumped up and he ran back into Eli. This time I know you called me. What do you want? I did not call you. Go back to bed. Leave me alone. But the old man realized the Lord's doing something. So he said, next time you hear that voice, here's what you say. Here I am, Lord. Speak, because your servant is listening. Sure enough, he went back to sleep, and the Lord called for a third time. Samuel. And the little boy woke up and said, here I am, Lord. Speak, because your servant is listening. And here's what the Lord told this little boy. Eli and his sons have not obeyed me as they should have. They're abusing the opportunity that I've given them. And they're ruining church for everyone. And I'm using you to replace them. How'd you like to be told that as a little boy? The next morning he gets up and Eli says to him, did the Lord call you again? Samuel said, yes. And Eli said, what did he say? How'd you like to have to tell? And he told him, he said, the Lord has said that I'm taking your place. And Eli, being smart enough to know, said, if that's really what God said, there's nothing I can do about it. And just kept going on his way. The prayer that his mother prayed went just like this. It's from 1 Samuel 1.11. Hannah made this vow to the Lord, Lord of heaven's armies. If you will look upon my sorrow and answer my prayer and give me a son, then I will give him back to you. He will be yours for his entire lifetime and as a sign that he has been dedicated to the Lord, his hair will never be cut. And here's all I'm saying to you. This woman, in her sorrow, in the place where she couldn't change what was going on in her life, decided 
to pray and to ask the Lord for this miracle. If you do this, I'll take it out of the realm of the ordinary and I'll put it in the realm of the extraordinary by giving it to you. And some of you in the very work that you do with your life, here's how you go to work. You don't see God as involved in it. You don't see God as having anything to do with it. All you do is show up, put in your time, go home and complain about what you're doing. And here's what the Lord wants you to know. As a believer, God wants you to take what is common and ordinary and offer it to him so that he can do the extraordinary with what you're doing with your hands. Now, this principle can be applied in every area of your life. Maybe you feel like your marriage is just an ordinary marriage, a common marriage, and that nothing extraordinary is going on. Do you know you can take your marriage out of the realm of the ordinary by saying, God, this belongs to you, and we give it to you, and we'll put it into your hands, and we want your blessing on our marriage. Here's the deal, though. Once you give it to God, you can't take it back and do what you want to with it. It now belongs to him. You can do it with your children. She did. Sometimes we look at our kids and we think, man, you're doing very ordinary, common things. And we all know that God birthed them for extraordinary things. What do you do? Place them in God's hands. God, this is your child, not just my child. And I give them to you and I ask you to lead them and guide them and do what you want to in their life. But here's the deal. You can't take them back once you give them to God and decide that you're going to take over. Once you make it holy by giving it to God, you can never use it again for ordinary things. You can do it with your money. Most of us just get a paycheck, take our cash, and do whatever we want to with it. But the truth of the matter is that money belongs to God. And what God wants from you is to realize, put that money in his hands so that he can bless it. Most of you are praying, God, bless, 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 but we don't get the principle. Give it to God first so that he can, and then don't take it back and do what you want to with it. You with me? So, Pastor, how can you preach something like this? Because if you're a believer, this is what believers do. They trust God with their lives. You can do it with yourself. You can do it with your church. You can do it with every part of your life. But in particular, your work, believe it or not, can be holy unto the Lord. Whatever you find to do, do it with all of your heart and do it like you're working for God and not working for a man or working for a woman. Here's just a thought. Let's see if I can do this. It hurt my back in the first service to try to do it, but let me see if I can do it. Truth in the Bible is two-dimensional, okay? Truth is linear where it's straight and you can walk out truth in a straight line and what God says is true and it'll always be true. But the Bible has multidimensional truth that goes so wide. And let me explain. In the Old Testament, this was true. If you came across a leper, a person that had leprosy, you couldn't touch them or else you would become unclean. And now you couldn't be used for the purposes of God. But in the New Testament, Jesus comes along and Jesus is the Lord over the leper. So he touches the leper and cleanses the leper. Now the leper is clean and can be used for God. In your workplace, it may be unclean. And you may think it's messing you up. But if you ever got the vision of who lives inside of you and who you are, dude, when you go into that place, you make the place clean. It doesn't make you dirty. You didn't hear what I said because that was darn good. That was darn good. Most people don't know who they are in Christ and they let the world knock them around. You are there to be the light. You were there to be the grace. You were there to be the mercy. You were there with the plan. And if you ever got God's vision for what you're doing in your life, as common as it feels, you could be the power there. Oh, let, me, let me go this way. Maybe this is a good time to tell this story. Um, 
I've, I've got a buddy that's a pastor up north, Fort Collins area. And I used to work with him about 25 years ago. And when I left to come down here to start the, the church, um, in order to keep our friendship active and alive, once a year, we, we go play golf together for a couple of days. And we just got back last week, and we have played a lot of golf together in a lot of different places. And I've just, man, I, I just, I've enjoyed that time that I've had with him. It's a, it's a neat friendship. Now, your pastor, you have to know something. Uh, I do not have virgin ears. I deal with all sorts of people in all sorts of situations. I've heard everything you probably could hear. And most stuff just washes off me like a water off a duck's back. But I played with a guy last week that was the most vile reprobate I've ever played with in my life. And from holes one to four, this guy said and did things, not just said, did things that were just not only offensive, but they were vile, man. They, I mean, dude, it would curl your hair and you don't even have any. That's how bad this was. Now, most of the time, at some point, someone will say to me, what do you do? And most of the time, I'll say I work for a nonprofit because there's a little videotape that reverses in their mind of everything that they've said up until that point, and it'll ruin their experience. But in this case, I couldn't wait for this guy to ask me, what do you do? Hole number four, he finally stops and says, hey, what do you two guys do? And I said, we're both preachers. And he goes, no, really. I said, sir, we are both preachers. And he goes, you're kidding. And he bent over like he's going to throw up. Just bent over like this. He's kind of hyperventilating because he rewound the tape in his head of the last four holes. And it wasn't just what he said, it's what he did. And I promise you, I think I've seen it all. I never saw this. And so he begins to apologize. Then he starts saying things like he'd hit a bad shot and he'd go, oh, shucks. Oh, gosh darn. And I finally walked over to him and I said, listen to me. Just be who you are. Don't do that to yourself. Just be who you are. By the seventh hole, he begins to call me his pastor. By the 18th hole, he asked me to pray for him. We returned the carts, and in front of God and everybody, my friend and I lay hands on him, and he begins to weep as we pray for him. Let me, let me read you his email that he sent me the next day. My buddy's name is Dave. Hi, Dave and John. Quick note to say thank you for the day yesterday. And once again, I apologize for my behavior. <laughs> Turns out he went to the School of Mines here in Colorado. This is what he told me. When I was a kid, I was close to God. But when I went to the School of Mines, I lost my faith. Because as a scientist, it's hard for me to believe everything. And I said, that's too bad because scientists make the best defenders of God. Gosh, you can't believe how much he told me about his life. He said, John, when I come to Highlands Ranch, I'd like to have coffee with you sometime. And you know why and what I'm talking about. Hope your dinner last night was really good. We gave you a really great suggestion. All the best. Then he signs his name. And then he says this. Here's my number. Here's my wife's number. Here's my home number. Give me a shout if you want to come by my house. I'll come get you in my golf cart. You can't get through the gate without my blessing. No pun intended. <laughs> you know, I realized a long time ago when I prayed a prayer that my life doesn't belong to me, but it belongs to God. I'm not a pastor in these walls right here. I'm a pastor everywhere I go. Every person I come in contact with, it doesn't always go that way. But here's what I've learned. When heaven meets earth, earth yields to heaven. 
Here's all Paul asks you to do. Be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within you. If a person ever asks, are you ready to say this is why? And most of us just show up and we just go through time and we're not thinking about the eternal perspective that God has. And I think God is calling us every day, open your eyes. Most of us are thinking, how can I get out of here? And I want to tell you the truth. The first four holes with this guy, I was trying to think, can I fake sick and get him away from me? Can I just tell him, hey, you two guys go play and we're going to play? But it was at the third that I realized once again, God's got an appointment for me right here and now I need to be ready. I wouldn't have traded that experience and everything that happened for what took place at the end of it. And by the way, this guy some point is coming to the kingdom. You know what he did? On the 18th green, he took a picture of me and my friend with him. And he said, I'm going to put this on my Facebook because nobody's going to believe it. <laughs> Here's what I told him. I'm going to preach about you at my church because no one's going to believe it. <laughs> so let me give you the second myth real quick. The first one is just simply my work is common. And it's not if you'll dedicate it and declare it is unto the Lord. The second thought is simply this. Here's the myth. My work is what gives me purpose. You want to know the truth? You're what brings purpose to your work. Your work does not give you purpose. You bring purpose to your work. And let me explain that. Some jobs are more noble than others. A doctor has a very noble job. Do you agree? Teachers have very noble jobs. If you're a teacher in this room, raise your hand real quick, teacher. Let me see. Man, you have one of the most awesome, noble jobs in the world. You're changing lives. Whether you get them when they're really young or when you get them in their older, you have the chance to sculpt and to change and to put in. There was a teacher when I was in the sixth grade. His name was Mr. Webster, and he was a believer. And I didn't know it at the time, but gosh, he opened my heart to the things of Christ. And I didn't even know he was doing it. When I became an adult, and this was within the last, uh, I don't know, 15, 20 years or so, I called him up because I wanted to thank him for what he did when I was in the sixth grade. I got him on the phone. He lived in California. He's retired now. And I still called him Mr. Webster. I said, Mr. Webster, this is John Lee. Do you remember me? I remember you, John. Here's where you lived. Here's where your mom and dad were. He came to our house for dinner one time. He remembered everything about me. And I said, Mr. Webster, I'm a pastor now, and it occurs to me that you were a believer. And he said, I was, and I did everything. He read to his entire class the Chronicles of Narnia. Sixth grade, public school. And I said, I just wanted to thank you for what you did in my life. All those years ago, it made a difference. I'm a pastor now, I think, partly because of who you were. I just thanked me for calling him. If you're a teacher, you do such noble work. I think pastors have a noble job. Do you agree with that? But let me, let me just teach you why uh, the job doesn't give you purpose. You bring purpose to the job. Because I know doctors who have lost their heart for people, and they're really lousy doctors. And just because they're a doctor doesn't make them noble. It's how they do the work that makes them noble. And I know teachers who have given into the system. And all they're doing is marking their time so they can get their retirement out of para. And that's not noble. But I get it. And mostly I know pastors who have lost their heart for God. And they treat people without dignity. And they do their job without mercy. And they stand up and they say things that are true, but they have no conviction in their own heart about them. And that's not noble. Do you agree with that? The job's not what brings you purpose. You bring purpose to the job by doing it as unto the Lord. 
Most people don't get that. And I get it, man. It's easy to say it on a Sunday and hard to do it on a Monday. Hmm. Remember I told you about Samuel? He was taking the place of Eli and Eli's sons. Here's what the Bible says just a few verses later about Eli's sons. Now, the sons of Eli, these are the pastors, by the way. The sons of Eli's were, what's the word? You know, the one thing as a pastor you never want to be said about you is that. Well, that pastor can preach, but what a scoundrel he is. Did you believe? So listen, what the sons of Eli were scoundrels who had no respect for the Lord or for their duties as his priests. The job does not bring nobility. You bring purpose to the job when you do it as unto the Lord. I'll give you the third one real quick. This one's a little twist, just to see if you're paying attention. Three myths about your work. My work is common. My work gives me purpose. Here's the third one. Don't say it out loud. Don't say it out loud. Look at me. Don't say it out loud. Think it in your head. My boss is... No. So somebody, my boss is a jerk. My boss is ill-fitted to do what they do. My boss is not caring. My boss is just putting in time. My boss is out of touch. All of those are myths. Here's the answer. My boss is God. Write it down. My boss is God. I'll go back and show you one more time. Very first scripture, Colossians chapter 3. Look at it one more time so that you can get it in your head. Whatever work you do, do it with all your heart and do it for the Do it for the Lord. It doesn't matter what you do. When you do it for the Lord, when you stand before him, it doesn't matter what you did. Here's the words you want to hear. Well done, good and faithful servant. That's the words. Ultimate promotion in your life, Danny, will be when you stand before God and God says, well done, good and faithful servant. It won't matter what you did. What will matter is that you did it as unto the Lord and the Lord goes, well done. And if you could ever rise above the dinge of the nasty now and now and see what God is calling you to see, my goodness, what you could accomplish. And that's hard to do. But as believers, that's what we're called to do. Now, here's the truth. I'm out of time and I'd like to finish my message, but I'm at a stopping point. So you can tell me, what do you want me to do? That's what I was hoping you would say. <laughs> a believer's mentality could be this. God put me here, maybe. Maybe at this point you hear this message and maybe what you'll say is God put me here, maybe. But here's the question. God can use me here, yes or no? Yes. You bet he can. So let me give you two truths about your work. Here's the first one. Maybe you're on the other side of the issue. And what you do, you really like it a lot. So here's the truth. Work can make you feel really good. Yes or no? Yes. Work can make you feel really good. Genesis 1, verse 10, 12, 18, 21, 25, and 31. Listen to this. After God got done working, he looked at his work, and this is what he said. I feel really good. He looked at his work, and he said, this is good. We're minted or stamped in the image of God. Therefore, sometimes when we feel good about our work, it's because we feel just like our father felt when he worked. But our father also demonstrated balance in his work. On the seventh day, he rested, and he called that good. And here's the second truth about your work. Your work can be an idol. 
And some of us, all we are is our work. It comes before our family. It comes before our God. It comes before our health. We make work an idol. And so you can go to two extremes. My work means nothing. My work means everything. God wants to be the only God of your life. And your work has to have balance to it so that it equals out what it's supposed to be like. And look at me. I'm a workaholic. And I pastor workaholics. And I'm trying to avert my eyes not on any one person, but I know many of you, and you're workaholics. Your self-worth is found in what you do, and your self-worth has to be found in who you are with him first. Otherwise, your work will be out of balance, and you'll have your work, but when you're done, you'll have nothing else. Nothing else. And that's a really bad place to end up in life. What could you do about it? There's two prayers you could pray. The first one is simply this. Whatever you're doing, if you want God's blessing on it, take it from the realm of the common, put it over here in the realm of the extraordinary. Say, God, this belongs to you, and I will not do with it what I want to do. I'm going to treat it the way you want it to be treated. I won't curse it any longer. When everybody else says, what a lousy job this is, I will say I'm blessed to have this job. When everybody else complains about how much they make, I will thank you that you have given me something to do with my hands. Instead of treating it common, treat it like God gave it to you. If you have an idol in your life and it's your work, God wants you to repent from idols and make him number one. And he's given you an example. The way you do it is to balance your life. You've got to rest from work. You know the worst thing about workaholics? They don't know they're workaholics. But the people around you do. The people around you do. You have an idol in your life, repent of any idol and put God first all the time. That's where the blessing of God rests in your life. That's the place. You want God's blessing, you have to do it God's way. I'll say it one more time. If you want God's blessing, you have to do it God's way. Amen? So, Lord, I love you. And God, we just want to take a minute to act on these two things that we've heard. First, I know so many people think of their work life. It's just so common and ordinary that it doesn't matter and that it's not going anyplace and it's not accomplishing anything. Folks, I, I didn't come to argue with you and to talk down to you or to slap you. That's, that's the last. Man, I'm your pastor and I love you and I think I just have a message from the Lord for you and, and it's this that God doesn't see what you do as common. What he wants you to see is that when you do it as unto him, it becomes holy. He wants to bless what you do. Maybe you're just thinking the job itself. God has so much more than just the job that he wants to do in your life. So I want to pray a prayer of dedication right now. And before you flippantly pray this prayer, here's what the Bible says. Better not to vow than to vow and not keep your word. So I'm asking you if you want to make a vow that the work of your hands could become holy to God, so you're going to give it to Him. But remember the deal, you can't take it back from Him. If you're going to give it to Him, you've got to give it to Him if you want His blessing. And if you're not ready to make that vow, don't pray this prayer. But if you are, I'm going to pray it. And if you agree, say amen. Father, what I do with my hands, I want you to bless. 
what I go to every day, what I make my living at, how I support myself, my family, my children, how I do what I do, how I spend my time. God, I want you to bless it. I don't want it to be common and ordinary any longer. I don't want to see it the way the world sees it. I don't want to come underneath what the world come underneath. God, as a believer, I want to see above. I want to rise above, and I want to be called to what you have for me. Therefore, even if I can't see it today by faith, I will take it from the realm of common and ordinary, and I will place it in the realm of extraordinary. I'll put it in your hands, and I will give it to you, and I will do what is unto you, and I will ask you to bless it. I will consecrate it and declare it as holy unto the Lord. And if that's your vow, say amen. The second one just simply is this. If you find yourself with an idol in your life and it's your work, it's taken over everything. The greatest proof of an idol is that simply it takes over everything. You can't rest. It's all you talk about. It's all you think about. It makes its way into every part of your life. It comes before your health. It comes before your marriage. Sometimes it comes even before your children, if you're honest. It becomes an idol. And the truth is, we enjoy serving it. That's the truth. God would call you to recognize today that it's out of balance. You can have no other gods in your life but Him. He has to have first place, and that's what He would call you to right now. And if you're like, Pastor, okay, maybe that's true, but in my heart, it doesn't feel that way. What do I do? You still pray, God, help me. Get rid of this idol. Help me put you in first place. Help me prioritize my life. I don't know how to do it today, but help me. And Father, if that's, if that's me, if that's what I'm doing, then God, I want to repent before you right now and I want to ask you to help me because I don't know how to stop. I don't know how to prioritize. I don't know how to back up. I don't know. God, I don't know. But you do. And so I'm asking you to help me right now. And if that's your prayer, just in your heart, say amen.